0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I am talking with uh, my buddy Chris Bartle. He and I shared the platform a uh, time or two in powerlifting, came back around full circle at, a, at an event with Jay Faruja, and then really throughout COVID, he and I have kind of been on a, uh, a text chat group between he, myself, and Jay Ashman, and... I guess to lead in, but to lead off with that, um, that text group has been pretty pivotal. I mean, I think all three of us have gone through a lot of transitions and changes uh, over the last five years, certainly, but definitely within the last 18 months. So publicly, thank you for that. Uh, second of all, really grown to respect you as a man and then kind of seeing you unfold as a coach has been really, really cool. And what you specialize in is coaching teenagers and kids. Um and I think that's an area that really causes my eyebrows to raise quite a bit. Uh, my son is a 13 year old. I'm privy to a lot of conversations with coaches around the country, to with parents around the country. And a lot of people are are what I think uh, maybe a bit delusional and extremely misinformed about the right way to go about this. And as somebody who's studied strength, as somebody who has a son you know, coming up through these stages of advancement, um, I really do appreciate your perspective on co- coaching kids, uh, you, Zach Evanesh, and a couple others, Ray Zingler being another, um, that really, really stand out in my
1: mind. But, man, after all of that, what's been going on? <laughs> oh, you know, man, just uh, navigating the uh, incredible insane sports season that we got going up on here in Washington and navigating all the new COVID regulations and trying to plan. I mean, summer training is already here. So, and then in, you know, in the nine weeks we got another football season. So it's been absolutely insane the past, geez, three, four months just up here, just with a constant go, go, go. So, uh, it's been a wild ride, man. And, uh, yeah, the, the the text thread that you and Jay and I have has has been a, a, a definite constant, shining light, and you know, in me and my psychology, and allowing me to vent, come to you guys for help, and just you know, just be a guy. So I want to yeah. say I want to thank you and thank Jay for uh, being a good sounding board, at least for me, and and you know, you guys doing the same on back.
0: Well, you know, I think more than ever, you know, I think the 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 reality with all of us is that we've all tried to play that, that lone wolf character a bit. Yeah. Um, You know, and I I still think that that, that exists in there. And we're always going to be a little bit radical in our own ways. But I think that especially through COVID, I learned that I need that support type group. I need people that are, that are doing good things and, you know, are, are kind of on the same trajectory or the same type path that I'm on, but maybe yeah. doing it a little better, a little better, or, or at least in a different part of the road than I am, That can give me advice on how to get through stuff. So it's, it's been, it's been really good for me to just kind of check myself. Cause I mean, you and I knew each other at different times in our lives Um, and and like I've said many times over to different people five, ten years ago I'm glad that we didn't meet on a deeper level because I'm sure you wouldn't have liked me um, at all and I mean we kind of delved into that at Jay Ferruja's event a little bit and just not that that we had bad blood or anything but it was just we were both in our own heads uh, somewhat and just focused on ourselves and didn't really care about anything or anyone else so you know it's um, it's been awesome to see you know, I don't want to call it an immaturity before, but just a real maturity and wisdom in, in some of the things that you share with me, um, some of the things that you post as far as thoughts about your kids. How do you feel it, that you kind of came to the philosophy point that you're at right now as a coach, and why did you want to specify on kids?
1: <laughs> Um, well, I'll answer the second part of that question first. I wanted to specify with kids because like every strength coach, when you get into the industry, everybody wants to train the professional athletes, right? That's where, the, Oh, that's where I think I can make my name. I trained so-and-so he's worth millions of dollars and everybody thinks training pro athletes is, is fun. And, and yes, it has its own unique challenges and it is very rewarding, but Joe DeFranco actually said something on a podcast a couple of years ago, and he said that the the new professional athlete is teenagers. And that that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I've been working with teenagers for quite some time. But when he said that, I was like, he's exactly right. There is such a void in high end coaching for teenagers because they can't rely on schools because schools are cutting P.E. programs right so they're not getting that physical education that you and i had um there's still this old school mentality that if you're a sport coach regardless of your experience that means you're the weight room coach and you probably don't know what the hell you're doing so (laughs) kids you know the injury rate of kids was skyrocketing like i mean and it still is ballooning like crazy and what i really sat down Down to think about it, I was just like, there needs to be accountability on the coaching standpoint for these kids because they're not getting any, and they're the future. They're the future athletes. They're the future adults. They're the future politicians. They're the future parents. So why are we not putting more focus and attention on their health and well-being and their mental status and how they're growing and and navigating this world that is just absolutely insane right now? And so once I realized that – And how much fun I had working with kids. Like I love training adults. I still have a couple adult clients, but they've been with me for close to a decade. But working with kids and seeing a kid go from somebody who's terrified of walking into a gym. To in my program, working up to be a level four athlete, which is the hardest program that you can get on, is insanely gratifying. Having a girl come in saying that I I don't want to be big and bulky, like I'm shy. But then three months later, they're crushing deadlifts and they're like, my confidence has never been higher. I'm not afraid of anything. Like everything that we're working on is showing me so much about life. Like that just melts my heart. And that became my life goal. Like I want to give kids that feeling and that experience. And and that's when I really just dove into it. Well, I mean, I think
0: it's, you know, I know that from somewhat from the sidelines and I know it's very, very near and dear to you. And I think one of the, the things that I admire most is that you had the clarity to define it, you know, at, at, at an earlier point in your life where it was like, this is what I want to go all in on because, you know, I didn't want to touch it because yeah. of the parents aspect of it. I didn't yeah. want to touch the, the kids coaching because I did not want to somewhat like become the psychiatrist for the parents, psychology. you know, for the parents raising these kids, you know, and trying to help them understand the realities of performance, the reality of their kids' capabilities versus their expectations and wants and desires. Um, so okay. I want to jump into these questions a little bit here, because these are things that, as my son nears this age bracket, he's 13 now, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at all the things that I really enjoy about coaching him versus coaching the average adult. He really is just coming into his own. He's just now becoming excited about the gym. But I really, really love the enthusiasm with his age bracket as well as you know everything that they do is building the rest of their life. And I know that sounds silly and cliche, but – really being a positive role model not only as my son's father but just as a as a figure in his life that that holds him accountable and helps him grow i know how valuable that stuff is and i think a lot of our parents miss that ship because they're looking at they're looking at an end goal that they've imagined rather than yep. an end goal that has been Uh, you you know, maybe discussed at a level with someone like yourself or some other kind of strength and conditioning professional to give them an idea of what to expect because you talk to some of these, these gyms that are just dependent upon retaining, you know, ongoing memberships and so on and so forth. Um, there are some good ones, but most of them are just going to keep diversifying this kid's training and keep draining the wallet. So yeah. to help, to help parents understand someone like yourself, uh, how to find a good facility, let's dig into some of these questions. Uh, yeah. number one, how can parents help coaches And how can they just get out of the coach's way? Because I think this is something I see a lot of a a pushback on is because parents know that you're the coach, trust that you're the coach, but then still try to interject their beliefs or views after the fact
1: or while it's ongoing. That comes down to the ego of the parent. Honestly, Um, what parents have to understand is people like myself, we're not trying to parent your kid. We're not trying to take the glory of your kid's accomplishments. We're just trying to make sure that they are the strongest, fastest, best athlete that they can be when they get the chance to play. And a lot of parents that are the sideline parents, they're so afraid of relinquishing control to somebody else because they're afraid that now the son is the parent. They're not going to get the recognition and the coach will. Right. so it's a very important conversation to have with parents to let them know it's like look i'm not here to do your job i'm just here to support you and help train your kid like right. there's, a, there's a big difference there between coaching your kid and being a parent sometimes that line can get blurred a little bit um especially in the area that i'm at there's a lot of for lack of a better terms, very rough home situations where I'm at. So I do have to kind of play a father figure in some aspects, but that's, that's not my job. I know right. what my job is. I'm supposed to teach your kid my big threes on nutrition, which is food, hydration, sleep. I got to teach them how to stay safe in the weight room and improve their athletic performance. So once a parent realizes and, and puts their ego aside – And they see that that's really my true role. That's when relationships can blossom between myself as the coach and the athlete. But that's really where relationships with the parents can go next level because then you can have open, honest, candid conversations with the parents about the status of their kids. And then elevation goes both ways. The kid elevates but I've also seen the relationships that parents have with their kids elevate and become much deeper and much more affectionate.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that, that a lot of parents don't realize is that learning that, you know, there's an outside source such as a coach that is reinforcing a lot, or maybe even setting some ground rules that the parents aren't, aren't able to set because either they've spoiled the child or anything like that. Having that reinforcement Enforcement of discipline and, and having that reinforcement of respect away from the parents, I think, is is a missed gift that a lot of the parents overlook. Is that, man, my kid minds for them. They do what they say over there. Maybe some of this could come home if we would change too. So yeah. I think that sometimes the parents have to admit maybe we don't know our kids as well as we think we do. And, and I think anybody that has a teenager can say that. You yep. know, they they close the door a lot more on their room and they're on their phones with their friends a lot more so we don't know them as well but if somebody is a medium that can help us understand our kids better and maybe even course correct our kids in a way that we're not seeing i think that that is a an ongoing relationship that every parent should seek and another part to this question that i wanted to dig into your brain on was a lot of parents that I talked to online um, really say they they share a lot of frustrations with either, you know, the year-round basketball coach or the year-round baseball coach, and then the the strength coach as well. They feel like they're in a system that they can't get out of because they feel Mm -hmm. like it is the best place for their child to be as far as visibility and and performance and winning championships and so what. I mean, every town or every, you know, conference has – of these teams that are just high output uh type teams. So you want your kid to play on the best team. You want your kid to be a valued player. But when it's just not working, how do you guide parents to to find the 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 courage or maybe the you know the respect for their kid to pull them away and put them in a better situation?
1: I usually let the kid do that, honestly. Um because when it comes to the year-round sports um you know, again, it it comes back, I think it comes back to the parents' egos and, and why they are doing this. I think a lot of times parents forget about the process of becoming a really good athlete. They just see the end goal and they're going to, go do whatever it takes to make sure their kid is the next Tiger Woods. You know, we kind of chatted about this a little bit. I, I call it the Tiger Woods syndrome. Every parent thinks their kid is going to be the next world's greatest athlete at whatever they are. But somehow in the past decade, as we've seen these travel teams explode, <clears throat> these, um, these giant uh, weekend-long invites explode – Somewhere along the line, parents forgot that kids need to be kids Mm -hmm. because they're so hyper focused. Our society is so hyper focused on pro athletes, pro sports, being millionaires that they forgot that summer is is, is a time for a kid to be a kid. They're, yeah. not in, they're not in school. They're supposed to go out and stay out late and get in trouble. They're supposed to play in the woods, go to the lakes, float the rivers with their kids, you know, with with their friends. You know what I mean? It's not, they're not supposed to go to their 27th volleyball tournament in the last six weeks or another softball tournament, four days in 120 degree weather where your pitcher is going to throw 600 pitches over the course of a weekend. There's been a huge disconnect and I, and I think it just comes back to the parents wanting something for the kid that maybe the kid doesn't want I have a lot of conversations with kids and they're the biggest thing that they tell me is I just want to be a kid like yeah. and it's it's heartbreaking when a, when you see a 14 15 16 year old be like, "Yep, I got to go again for another trip uh, I, and all my friends are doing this on the 4th of July or all my friends are going camping, but I got to do this." But they're so afraid to talk to the parents cuz they don't want to hurt the parents' feelings. So again, it it just circles back to the parents' ego. And what is the end goal for them? Is it yeah. do you do you want your teenager to be the greatest teenage athlete in the history of teenage athletes and then Burnout and bonk by the time they get to college or are you just doing it because they actually have a genuine love for the game i think there's a big difference but parents are just they're they're honestly delusional a lot of times especially when it comes to kids who are good at sports they they think that they need the exposure they need to go to all these showcases and camps and i've had conversations with professional scouts numerous times over you know working with all the college players that I have and they all say the same thing. If a kid's good, they don't need to go to a showcase or all of these different tournaments. If a kid's good, no matter where they're at, they're going to be found by somebody. It's it's a guarantee. They don't need to drop all this money to go to a showcase. And yeah. so, it's just what is the goal? And how is that going to help the kid because if it's not if it's going to take away from them growing socially as a teenager, I just don't think it's worth it.
0: Well, one of the things that, you know, it's, it's become such a problem too. I was talking to a friend of mine um, and her son plays on a travel team and they have three kids and one of the kids is nearing college. So, you know, the pressure is high. Um, The tournaments are just very, very cutthroat at that level. And then they have a 13 year old and they have an 11 year old and she was divulging to me. And I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they do very well but her husband uh, played in the major leagues. So he has an interesting perspective on things. And after this past year, when COVID was off and the kids actually just got to kind of be kids again a little bit, the the tournament count was down. She Mm -hmm. said prior to COVID the summer before they spent over over $25,000, nearly $30,000 between equipments, fees, uh, coaching, travel, all that kind of stuff for three kids to play ball. And I don't know any, I don't know anybody You know, especially in my circle of friends, um, that just is eagerly throwing down ten thousand dollars plus per kid to to, to play summer ball when we used to be a twenty dollars sign up at the beginning of spring (laughs) and we played all summer. You know, I think something has been lost. Um, A few things have been gained. I mean, I think that we are starting to understand that kids are resilient. They can do a lot of amazing things when tasked with it. But I think there's a there's a crescendo point where it's a break point as well. I think we can push our kids in a way that is positive, reinforces that hard work, elicits uh, progress and goals, but we can't tear our kids apart. I mean, I was looking at a statistic and I'm going to, I don't wanna even want to try to quote it, but I will, I will say it was in the factor of several hundred percent increase in Tommy John surgeries in children under 16 years old. Oh and- Yeah you know, it's, it's introduction of the curveball too soon. It's, it's demand of volume of pitching too soon. It's volume and velocity too soon. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the models that I was reading about in contrast to that was, was the Japanese baseball model where their pitchers will sometimes throw 500 balls a day, but some of them, like the majority of those are at 10 to 20 feet at 30 to 40% velocity, just kind of, lubricating the joint. And then the, the, you know, they work up to 60 or 70% velocity over the course of the next several hundred throws and their arms, they don't see the frequency of injury. They don't also see the, the high velocity that we see, the hundred miles an hour, the 96 plus miles an hour. They'll have the freaks over there that do that too. But the majority of their pitchers remind me of Maddox that, yeah. that, that low 80 to, to low 90. You've got that, that sweet spot where you're not, and, and you and I know it too. Like we could sit out here and throw a football or baseball for an hour. And then the one time that you break off a 60 yard sprint and I throw it for everything I'm worth, the shoulder feels a little different. So if we're yeah. asking our kids to go these long innings, these extra innings where we're pitching high velocity and so on, I think there has to be some understanding that if you're, if you're running a drag car down the strip in a quarter mile at a, at a high velocity level, you have to rebuild that thing quite often, like every race or every other race, whereas something else that is a little bit slower paced and even killed can run 500 miles in something like the Daytona 500. We have to look at our kids in the same type of spectrum. If we are constantly pushing at that 100% level, they are going to break down. They are going to need massive rebuilding whether that is someone like yourself who is a strength and conditioning coach that understands the needs and how to train someone to meet them, or we lower the expectation a little bit and just ask them to pace themselves. Because I 100% agree with you in the fact that and, – and I've done the same. The, 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 actually, the father that I was mentioning a while ago, he said, man, I didn't have to do any of this crap. We wouldn't be doing this crap if we weren't financially set in the way that we are, but because we can, we forget that it's something to go outside with your own damn kid and throw a ball or have them yeah. hit, into a, hit into a net, and we're outsourcing our kids' raisings, and we're outsourcing our kids' coachings in a lot of way by just going boom, 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 and having 15 coaches, whereas someone like yourself or someone who's into strength conditioning and just general athletics will understand that everything that you give that child works outward into whatever direction they go whereas if you hyper specialize a kid for baseball at eight years old well what if he was a pretty good football player wrapped in that baseball uniform you know we got to give kids a chance to develop as who they are we've got to get a chance for our coaches and strength to showcase what the real value is so to kind of wrap all that up into another question what would you offer a parent as a suggestion course from, let's say, birth to 18 on how to capitalize on their kids' athleticism, happiness, uh, enjoyment, and, and like really family aspect of it to where nobody's mad at anybody else for what they've been doing? It's, it's a really well-oiled machine.
1: I would just uh, tell that parent to make sure to expose your kid to as many different athletic stimulus as possible. Um, You know, I look back at my brother and I's childhood a lot when I'm when I get asked this question, because our our lives didn't revolve around a sport. It revolved around uh, one specific sport. It revolved around the season. So it was like we always knew when football came, it was fall. It was football, then straight into hockey, basketball and snow skiing, straight into baseball and golf. And then the summer we just had off. And. You know, my brother actually played uh, on a travel hockey team, which would now be considered a select club team, but it was only during the hockey season. The minute hockey season was done, it was straight into baseball and. You know, a lot of parents always freak out. They're like, how many, How are you so good at so many different sports? It's like because I played so many different sports. And that's what parents have to understand. To develop the best all-around athlete, they need exposure to a bunch of different stimulus. If you get caught doing the same thing over and over again, it's just like the bench press specialist, right? If you become a bench press specialist early on, and that's all you do is bench for five, six years, your shoulders are gone, your elbows are gone, you're going to have a pec tear at some point, and you're going to feel beat up like crap. Kids are the same way. If you start force feeding them one sport from the time they're really little, they're not going to be able to develop all the necessary skills to be a well-rounded athlete. I remember um, Eric Cressy posted something years ago. They took a they actually took a poll before he opened up his Florida um, facility. They they took a poll of every professional athlete that came through their Massachusetts gym and ninety nine percent of all the professional athletes. And he's got a ton of them all said they played more than one sport in high school. And these are multimillion dollar, some of the biggest name baseball players in the world. And they played multiple sports in high school. Remember Urban Meyer saying a thing in one of his recruiting classes at Ohio State. Out of 46 kids that committed to play football at Ohio State the following year, 44 of them played more than one sport in high school. And he flat out said at Ohio State that if you don't play more than one sport, you're probably not going to get a look from us. So yeah
0: well and i think there those sports different sports offer such different characteristics of development yep. you know and i think i think yeah. that's what's important and and different sports have different cognitive aspects as well baseball is a little bit slower game football being very fast paced high paced basketball being very limited you know is and fast paced because you have fewer people on the on the floor just like mm-hmm. hockey or soccer everything so sorry to interrupt you there but i just no, no. think that parents need to understand that it's not just running left and right, north and south, it's it's really a full-spectrum approach to how the sports differ, the, yeah. the demands that they require that are different. I mean, I, I think somebody that learns to play lac- lacrosse and track that ball would somehow that would carry over to their ability to track a baseball, whether 100%. feeling
1: or hitting. You know, so I
0: think I think there's a lot to what you're saying.
1: Well, and if we you know if we put on our powerlifting hats for a second, you program powerlifters, I program powerlifters. What do we do when we're breaking down an assessment on a powerlifter? We find their weak points. We make those. We train those weak points to get them stronger to make their strong points even better. Same thing goes for athletic development of of. A-
0: Okay, we just had a brief technical difficulty, so uh, pick back up where you were, man. Sorry about that.
1: No, 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 it's okay. But what I was saying was, you know, to diagnose how uh, to make an athlete better, you got to find where their weak spots are. By encouraging kids to play more than one sport, like you just said, they're stimulus to many different planes of motion. Um, is a lot greater. So if you only have a kid that plays baseball, they only know one frame of playing a motion. But if you get them to play baseball, lacrosse, basketball, now all of a sudden they have to do different things. It requires different skills. It requires different cognitive function. So now all of a sudden that athlete has to elevate in more than one specific area. So when they do come back to baseball and it's full circle, they're going to be a better baseball player and they're going to be fresh. They're not going to have that burnout their arm they're not going to have the dead arm they're, their mind is going to be fresh because it's a whole nother train of thought playing different sports because when you also play different sports with different teams you're going to be exposed to different social networks and social atmospheres so you're going to have to learn how to be a teammate and talk to different kids if you play on the same travel team for year after year after year it's the same people so you don't develop those social skills where if you play with different teams in different areas you have to learn how to make friends how to communicate how to deal with people And then that's a massively overlooked aspect in terms of athletic development for teenagers is the social aspect of sports.
0: Yeah, and that's something that uh, I think is very, very interesting that I've talked about. And I think I mentioned it to you and Jay in our text group, but one of the things I really did identify um, about myself is my inability to really maintain or stoke my relationships because – I always had this rotation of the same few faces within my school or my district. And I never really had to make those friends once the, they were made. But I really wasn't friends with the kids that didn't play all the sports that I did, you know, from season to season. But when soccer season rolled around, you know, I was friends with my soccer teammates. When baseball season rolled around, I was friends with them. When it was whatever it was, my friends were already inherently there. So it was. It was hard for me to recognize that I had to work to keep friendships alive, you know, yeah. because I always had these supplemented friendships just put in place. And I think that is something that's very, very overlooked is the fact that, you know, you're teaching your kid if you if you keep and I'm going to probably upset some feelings here when I say this, Do it. But, if you, but if you keep buying your child's success, if you keep funneling money at this kid or at this program, just because it's what you perceive is the best program or what you perceive is going to set your kid apart, I think that you're teaching your kid something far worse. You're teaching them to one, to be dependent on you to get them out of whatever they need, which is not a bad thing at at some levels, but it really diminishes the fact that they can earn things on their own. They can, would they be able to become a better hitter without four hours of batting instruction every week? I don't know, but I think that there's something to be said for a kid that figures it out. Just like we talk about this in powerlifting too, there's a lot of chitter chatter on the forums uh, or used to be talking about you know how coaching or online coaching was ruining a lot of the aspect of powerlifting because the the days that you and I were coming up, you know, the gyms at the end of the door were pretty secretive. Like they didn't want that information necessarily getting out. A lot of the stuff that we learned and really failed at was trial trial by fire stuff that people had already done years and years before us, but we had to do it ourselves. We had to learn the hard way. We had to figure this stuff out and while I think that a lot of that stuff is good, and it really does curb um, a lot of mistakes and downtime, I think that there's something to be said for that struggle. And if you keep giving these kids, like, oh, there's always a better coach out there, there's always a better team out there, there's always a better option out there, I don't think we teach our kids that hey, maybe the kid is the best option, maybe the kid is the best idea, maybe the kid, you know, maybe there's something within them that that overcomes whatever you know, negates or whatever situation is negating you recognizing them as, as good enough as a parent. I just yeah. think it, it, it breeds something really, really strange to me when we just keep pushing our kids for forward because we have the finances to do so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of it too comes down to this whole mentality of win at all costs, like, yeah, I know parents that'll put a kid on a team a travel team one season and, th- and that team loses three or four games and doesn't make this world renowned tournament. So they pull them off and they go to another team the next season and then another team and another team. And they never teach the kid how to lose. Right. They don't yeah. Have- they don't understand the lessons that could be taught by struggling and by losing. I mean, when I was growing up, <clears throat> I was blessed. We, we played on a, I played on a lot of really good teams, but it, and it wasn't because I, I was on travel teams. No, it was just they, they did it by regions, right? They broke the city up into quadrants, and you got who you got, and I was just blessed enough to be able to play with a bunch of really good kids all the way. But we also lost a lot of games as well. And it taught a lot of hard lessons, and that is taken away from kids a lot of times because they don't – they're not taught how to lose. They're not taught how to overcome adversity because they know that if they're on a crappy travel team, mom and dad are just going to spend more money next year to put them on a better team because they don't want their kid to have the feeling of losing, and that is a huge thing that the parents are missing out on. It's like, no, get your kid to lose. Because odds are the more they win and they don't understand losing, they're gonna become spoiled and entitled and when they do lose, they're not gonna know how to handle themselves. And it's how you battle back from that adversary and the adversary and the lessons that you learn from losing that really I think helps cognitive and psychologically athletes get to that next level
0: well and I think you said it better I mean that's what I was trying to get at is we're, we're depriving these kids of something and I yep. think what it is is grit you know yeah. we're, we're depriving them at some level and, and throw grit as wide as a net as you want to cast it but I think you know when you get into hard situations or you get into tough situations or situations where you're you know you're going to cross that moral line I think if we let kids figure things out and understand that there's penalties sometimes maybe they don't get get in the car with their drunk friend yeah maybe they don't do these things because they know there's a consequence for every action and um yeah I, i think you said that really really well man but to touch one more little aspect on um you know kind of a progression from birth to 18 i think i've I've talked about this a few times but it's worth reiterating i think as soon as a child is born you know between zero and one years old definitely to two years old i think getting them in some kind of pool activity with with the parents um, is really really good getting early body awareness learning to to kind of save themselves quote unquote Mm -hmm. um I got a funny story about that. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, at maybe three or four years old, progressing to something like gymnastics. At four or five years old, progressing to something like martial arts for the, you know, the continued body awareness, the self education of, of respect, as well as self defense. Discipline. Yeah. And discipline. And then going at five or six years old, maybe into some of the more traditional sports. And then at maybe nine or 10, adding a second or a third sport into the fold and just letting it run wild from there. But I think that basis, and you know, athletes as well as I do, when I see a a Laura Phelps, that type of, she was an early adapted gymnast. Her her muscle bellies were different. The way that she carried her muscle was different. Her ability to call on and demand her muscles do world record level lifts was, was very, very evident. And I think her overall postural health and everything else that goes into it was laid by years and years of, of gymnastic work. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, that's, that's kind of the rhythm and the flow that I would put it at, but I would also encourage parents to not really start deeming your child a separate talent until they're about 14 or 15. Because what I see, I see a lot of times is you see the 11 year old that's six feet tall. That's going to be six foot two. Yeah. Uh, Whereas you have a 14 year old that's five foot eight and he's developed incredible skills. And then over the course of the next few summers, by the time he's 17, he's six, two or six, three with even better skills. Whereas the kid that was six foot tall at 11 years old was just standing there with his hands straight up and down, being, being a tall tree, putting in layups all the time. You know, I think there's something to be said. At 15, maybe maybe even there's a kid at 16 that shoots up or something, maybe even later. But I think by 15, you're going to have a pretty good idea between either natural-born talents and gifts plus their ability to, to skill. So yeah. I think that's a good age that if you're really wanting to put some money somewhere or really wanting to talk to some some extra coaches outside of I think strength and conditioning should should be your first dollar and the last dollar if that's the only one you have to spend because yep. that, that goes out universally. But if you have the money or the time commitment to be able to give to these secondary coaches, I think 14 and 15 years old is a good time to start saying, okay, my kid is a separated talent. Maybe yeah. we need some specialization But before that, I think we should let kids be kids.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's so much to unpackage and that's the brief statement. Um, so I got a bunch of things floating through my head, so I'll try and make them all quick. Uh, you said something interesting about getting the kids in the water with the parents. The funny story that I have is when I was a little kid, um, you know, I'm a Pisces, so I've always been drawn to water, but how I was taught how to swim was my dad just walked me up to the end of the pool and then took a step back and literally kicked my ass and shoved me in the pool. And that was how I learned to swim. And I, I asked him, I was like, why did you do that? What if I drown? And he goes, if you started to drown, I was going to jump in and save you, but you had to learn to save yourself. Yeah. And I was just like, holy cow, like, I, I tell parents this all the time this is how you teach a kid to swim just throw them in a pool and they freak out and I'm like I lived and I'm 43 and I'm slightly psychologically <laughs> damaged you know but um right going back to that early specialization if you look back on the history of uh, Chinese sports and Russian sports specifically they were you know if, take the performance enhancing drugs aside from the 60s 70s and 80s what they would do is that the socialist governments would send specific people out and they would they would have these camps for kids and these kids would get to play multiple games multiple sports and be exposed to all these different things and these these recruiters for lack of a better term had one goal it was to find the one specific quality of that kid the one superstar, and take them out, and that's all they did the rest of their life. They took them away from their families. They took them away from their friends, and they put them in these sports-specific camps, and that's all the kid had ever known all the way up until the government was done using and abusing them, which is right about that 15-, 16-, 17-year-old thing. Those kids are just messed up. They're, they're, they're not yeah. – you know what I mean? Because they were so focused and brainwashed by the government into thinking they could only do one specific thing. But what you said later was and then I completely agree, like gym, I think gymnastics, martial arts, wrestling are three absolutely must haves for parents to get their kids into at an early age because it teaches so many different skills and. As they progress in the development of their athletic skills, start to expose them more and more and more. And I agree with you on the 14, 15 specialization. I actually push it back a little further. I would say if you don't know what you're going to do, your junior year of high school, so 16, 17, that's when you should really start to focus. And it's and it's funny that we were talking about this because I've had this conversation with a couple athletes that I train at Mount Baker. One kid is is – he's like the number two ranked linebacker in our state he's going to he will play division 1 somewhere and i've been talking with him and his dad for a year and a half i was like he's going into a senior year it's time for him to specialize in just football he made the decision okay. this year that he he's not going to play basketball he didn't play basketball this season and he's seriously considering not playing baseball and he would be a four year starter on the varsity team because he wants to run track to increase increase his speed for football and for, sure. him, for him to have the awareness to be like, look, I love baseball, that's not going to help me at a Division One level. I need to go work with a track coach because I need to work on my dead-end speed, my top-end speed. That takes a lot of awareness and a lot of guts for a kid, but he's also – this is his junior year. He's going to be a senior next year. It's the perfect time to start to specialize because now he knows exactly what he wants. When you take to a 13-year-old, you're like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? One minute they're going to say they want to be a professional baseball player. The next minute they're going to say they want to be a firefighter. The next minute they want to be a football player. The next minute they want to be a writer. The next minute they want to be – they have no freaking clue what they want to do. They don't have the mental, right. the mental maturity to be able to make that decision. I mean every kid growing up says they want to be a professional – athlete in some way shape or form but as they start to grow and mature and they get that mental uh, uh they they go from that mental adolescence to, to mental teenage years i guess you could say and they start to have that that bigger thought pattern then they start to realize okay maybe i can't do a maybe i should look into b so once yeah 16 well, it's 17 funny you say that now
0: i think that's funny that you say 16 17 because in my own life that's what i look at as probably that was when i made that decision i didn't play basketball um my junior year of of high school because i had specialized in soccer i realized that i had some really really high talents in soccer i had some abilities to look at playing uh, collegiate soccer and um it wasn't even a tough decision at that point, And I was 16 years old. Like I, and I loved basketball more than I did soccer at the root of it all. But I knew my opportunities were limited in basketball if I wanted to play collegiate. Yep. So, yeah, I would probably bump it up definitely 15, just based on the fact that looking at my own life, it was the 16, 17, you saying 16, 17, and, and looking at where my son is at 13, almost 14, I just don't think he has the capacity yet. And I, and he's really starting to blossom as an athlete. I would categorize him as a good athlete. He's not the the fastest kid. He's not the kid that's picking up the, the weird-shaped rocks that are super, super heavy that no other kid can right off the bat. But he is a good, talented athlete, and he works hard. So mm-hmm. I think some of the fruits of his labor are just now starting to show at 13, and then 14 probably will be an expression. So more along that lines of 15, 16, uh, we'll have a better indicator of where he's going to go. Because right now, um, my heart is pulling for him for baseball, just because I'm a baseball nut. I love it. <laughs> and um, but you know, he's a pretty damn good little football player too. And and I would be, I would be totally lying. If I said, I wouldn't love the idea of him being able to, to carry that on into high school and then go to college and play football or baseball or whatever he wants to do. But right now we're just trying to figure it all out. But the main thing that I can tell you that we're prioritizing is him getting stronger. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter um, what, what he can do necessarily in the gym right now, as much as can he do the things that he's required to do by me? Well, you know, yeah. I'm not worried about a 400-pound squat. He's 13 years old. It'll come. Um, I'm worried about a 225-pound squat for reps that look the way that a 225-pound squat for reps for a 13-year-old should look. And mm-hmm. just building out slowly. Um, that that brings me to my next question. What do you think parents over-expect of their kids? And um, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, the biggest overlooked factors by youth coaches – and what should they, what do they think they can get out of kids that they can't and what do they think that they can get out of kids that they're not looking for?
1: Well, I mean the number one thing that coaches don't, or or, that they miss out on is the, the role of what strength and conditioning plays as kids starting at the age of 13. There's so much going on with with teenage bodies starting right there at that 13 that they really are starting to come into puberty. Their bodies are really starting to grow. So their athletic development is going to be thrown into the perpetual dryer. One day they're going to be good at one thing and the next day they're going to be terrible at it. Um, so I think coaches not understanding the role of somebody like myself who's just teaching body mechanics at that age and how that Plays a role in that athlete's development to make him a better athlete for that coach, if that makes right. sense. So, you, you, I love what you just said. You said you don't care about your son's four hundred pound squat because it's going to come. Hell yeah, this is He's your son. He's probably going to squat a thousand. But <laughs> can he? Can he do one thirty five? Perfect. Can he do two twenty five? Perfect. Then let the strength come. And then that's the other thing that coaches. Don't understand. They think that if you have a strength and conditioning coach, all we're focused on is one rep maxes. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Do we strength train? Yes, absolutely. But good coaches will prioritize movement quality over movement quantity. So we're going to take people, we want them to move better. We want them to move better under load. So, you know, the definition of I, I always say this in as a couple of different ways mobility is your ability to get your body in and out of positions athleticism is mobility explosively can you get in and out of positions explosively and that's really what a strength coach should be doing with 13 14 year olds and it, it, it don't matter what you're putting on the bar you know a bar has to be earned to be put on your back especially in, in my program like you have to earn that right, but you have to earn it through basic body weight movements, body mechanics. Can you move fluidly? Can you get in and out of positions? Can you show that you can hold certain body postures with load for a certain amount of time, just like you would in sports? You know, let's break down some positions. Offensive linemen are basically doing an isometric squat from anywhere from 3 to 15 seconds. Baseball players, they're doing an isometric squat. As the the minute the pitcher starts to throw the ball, they're in an athletic squatting position, especially on the infield. Look at catchers. Catchers have to spend three hours in a squat position. So if they're not able to get in and out of those positions, they're not going to be good at that. And that's really what a role of a strength coach is these days and how it helps benefit the coach. And I don't think coaches understand that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of coaches, I mean, that was one of the things, you know, and not to pat myself on the back is saying that this is the most effective thing in the world. But one of the thing um, that I really like to do with my linemen when I'm working with them, I mean, we know it. We all know a coach. I was coached by coaches that I love and respect that had us run gassers, mm-hmm. 100 yard sprints. You know, it didn't bother me because I wasn't a big guy, but you'd see the linemen, they hated it. They despised the coach over it. So I wanted to think of a different way to work the guys. In, in, in their wheelhouse in a way that was competitive as well as fun for them. So one of the things I would do is have a you know a 12, 16, or a 20 pound sledgehammer, depending on the guy, have them swing this thing and hit a tire, Flip the tire three times, get down in a three-point stance, three-yard drop, five-yard right or five-yard left, and then a ten-yard sprint, right mm-hmm. back on the tire, and do that. How many plays are you in this game? We got you got forty plays this coming up upcoming week, or expected to play forty plays. We're going to do this forty to forty-five times. Yep. You know, you're just going to get in line and run this rep over and over and over again. I mean. Not necessarily 45, but we would do a lot of stuff to acclimate to game-like situations. They could understand pre-fatiguing and then flipping a heavy tire two or three times, having to get down in that three-point stance in a tired position, drop back, protect your quarterback, split out right to protect your halfback, go up the line to protect maybe a tight end on an out or something like that. I mean, it, it all made sense. And I think if our coaches get more creative and look at what our kids are expected to do on the field and translate that to what they should do in the weight room, I think we would have have a better bond and a better marriage to the idea that we know what we're doing. We're capable of expressing that capable of explaining that. And that that helps the kids buy in that helps the parents buy in. And I think it just proves, you know, we need better coaches to explain those things and, yep. you know, guys like you are doing it.
1: And, and the problem with it, having a sport coach run the weight room is they have blinders on. They only see, we need a power, clean bench and squat. Twice a week, we're doing five by five because that's been working for 60 years. They don't understand the concept of GPP versus SPP and how to incorporate both and transition that over and off season to get kids ready. Because, a lot, you know, we, we do a lot of the same basic things with our our, our football players at, at Mount Baker like as the summer progresses we start to get into more sport specific training and the linemen will do one thing our big skills will do something different our skill people will do something different because they have different you know they have different energy system needs when it comes to playing that game but coaches don't know that because they're not a dedicated strength coach they're usually a right. teacher or a professional and that's what their focus is If a coach can set the ego aside and realize I don't know what I don't know, it's time to hire somebody that does. That's when the programs go absolutely bonkers and go next level. It takes it takes stress off the coach because it's one less thing for them to worry about. And you're letting a true professional do what they do. You're not going to hire a painter to do your taxes. So why would you hire somebody that's not a true strength coach to be your strength coach?
0: perfectly stated and i could not agree more i mean i think i think it's high time that we we really clarify to administrations to parents to anybody that's willing to listen that just as much as we have dietitians that we understand are are very detailed and very cutting edge i mean at the level of someone you know um like a Smitty or somebody that's just out there Mm -hmm. consistently, um, you know, John Meadows, for example, is another guy that I always look at research and whatnot. If you don't have somebody that's dedicated to keeping up in the game and understanding the advances in science, understanding the advances in training, understanding the failures of current models, you know, and and being able to analyze and take away, I can certainly tell you, um, you know, if you ever remember that movie junction boys, the bear Bryant story, I mean, you couldn't ask more of any young men. You couldn't work them any harder. You couldn't push them any further. And you got, squat for a result you know you didn't get anything out of it you pushed too far so having somebody that understands appreciates and values the fact that information is going to change and they have to be flexible is super super important but also relieving the head coach or relieving the whoever coach from from a secondary job because that's what it really becomes the the strength and conditioning just becomes like well it's a have to so we'll do it whatever we can you know and it's an important thing that not only will mitigate mitigate injury, it'll make these kids better. It'll make them more respectful of themselves, more respectful of those around them, just because in the weight room you can get hurt. And, and yep. like that old Henry, Henry Rollins saying, 200 hmm. pounds is 200 pounds. You know, I think that there's a discipline that comes with knowing the truth about what you can do and what you can't. Yep. So. With all that being said, and and really this conversation going on in a number of different directions, but all in, in the same direction, what is really troubling you, or what is exciting you about coaching kids that that parents need to be aware of, or something that you just want to talk about on this?
1: Um, man, that's a tough question. I think the thing that that just fires me up about going to work every day is the fact that my kids love coming into the weight room. That. Um, I stepped into uh, a situation where the weight room was mm-hmm. w- viewed as more mandatory instead of voluntary and that I've created a culture uh, that isn't focused on numbers. It's focused on progression, but that the kids are excited like – for, for example for the summer you know we're only we're doing three three sessions a day we only get 25 kids a session and I did something a little different this year I mean everybody they had to send me an email on a certain day saying what time they wanted I had one group fill up in three hours and I got emails at 1201 1202 1205 a.m so kids are that excited about wanting to come in to the weight room that they're figuring out technology to send delayed emails just because because they want to be there to experience what, it, what is happening. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when parents see that their kids get excited, I think parents just need to encourage that and embrace it. Just like, look, the weight room is going to be a good thing for the kid. Let them do it. Let them grow. Encourage them to do it. Let me worry about the fine, minute details of sets, reps, and uh, movement selection. You just worry about keeping food on the table for your kid. Absolutely, and that's
0: and that's it. And you know, something to say on that same front: encourage your kids in that department. I mean, my son is a product of of, of a busy lifestyle and and every failure mm-hmm. that I've ever been as a man. He's a kid that ate chicken nuggets as a kid. He's a kid that had, <laughs> had you know had bags of chips and whatever. I'm not I'm not perfect, but as I've gotten more serious about my health and I, as I've gotten more stable in my life and made better choices for me and myself, I mean my family and everybody around me. Uh, the cool thing is he has latched onto the fact that you know, I'm always experimenting in the kitchen. And I told him this last go-around when he started training with me he was like, Look, let's do this all on the level. Like we don't have to set the world on fire. You don't have to be super strong. We just want to start over, build a base, and make everything cohesive. So I said, give me two weeks where you do every every training exactly how I say it, eat exactly what I tell you to do, and then we'll go from there. And now, you know, we're rolling along and he's getting the progress. He's seeing the effects in his body change, he's seeing the way that his clothes fit a little bit different he's Mm -hmm. noticing that his his bicep has a little peak to it so guess who is holding me accountable at dinner you know like yeah man you know we're running late let's just swing through here he's like dad we can get home we can do this i mean it happened today that exact same situation happened today so i think it's very very good for the parent and the child if they can make it an enjoyable process like i said get outside and don't just outsource your kids pitching to somebody else throw in the yard with them get invested in talking to a strength coach that understands how to make them stronger in all walks of life not just in one specific direction invest in every aspect of making your kid better and and be accountable to those same things that you're asking i mean what better thing for parents that you know, we talk about the kids are the problem, the kids are the problem. Well, kids are just moldable clay and, and we're the potter, yeah. you know, we need, yeah. to, we need to take some responsibility as parents. If we ask them to jump high, we need to jump high with them. So I, I think, uh, man, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this first and foremost. But second of all, um, we shared some pretty, some pretty heavy things at Farooja's stuff, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just been a pleasure to watch you from afar and then to come full circle into that, that group and really just see how you've grown changed and, and pushed your life forward. And if nothing else, you know, if, if people don't appreciate what you said about the coaching, you're living what you're preaching. And I, I think that's such a valuable thing, man. And I thank you so much for, for being on here today.
1: Oh man. Thanks dude. I've, uh, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a long time, man. And yeah, you know, the breakthrough that you and I had at, at, uh, at Frugia's was, was amazing, you know, and, and I consider you to be, you know, one of my best friends now, and it's just been great to see your evolution and I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to call you my friend.
0: Well, brother, tell people where they can find you.
1: Um, you've got some writings
0: going up, I hope, up on uh, maybe Elite FTS at some point.
1: I'm hoping to get some stuff rolling somewhere, but right now uh, you can find me on Instagram at Bartle strong. That's B as in boy, a R T L strong. It's pretty much where I do most of my stuff uh, right now, but um, I got a bunch of stuff in the mix. If I can plug real quick, I'm going to be doing a a weekly live stream of local Whatcom County football games starting this fall, where we're going to be highlighting a different athlete every week. And there, that athlete's going to come onto my podcast. Um, I have an EAD podcast, launching here in about six or seven weeks. I got a book coming out probably by the end of the summer that that discusses the program I have rolling at Mount Baker High School. I got a new website. I mean, I got a bunch of stuff that are just white hot that just need to be finished. And uh, then the world is mine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, good, man. I'm proud of you, and uh, I'll make sure Thank I you. share everything that you got going. Thank awesome. you guys so much for listening. As always, if you like it, share it. And if you like it, give us five stars. If not, shoot me an email at brandonlilly3 at yahoo.com. I'm always up for discussion. Thank you very much. Have an awesome day. Thanks, brother. Thank you.